You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll get right back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all on this Saturday morning. Yes, good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Don. Hey, we made it. It's May 1st, everybody. Oh, that's right. Wow. I hope you got your tax everybody return in yesterday. Say. Everybody filed their tax return at midnight last night. And is that uh, why everybody's in their shorts? lined up at uh, Shoppers Drug Mart to get their envelope stamped when I did. But uh, anyway, I <laughs> here we go. All right. The old days when I used to be able to go to the uh, CRA office and just dump it in their in their chute and in the, uh, no stamp required. That's right, in the box. No stamp required. I love that. Yeah. All right. You know, you're already paying tax. Like you figured they should they should let the stamp uh, just go away because uh, you know you're just getting <laughs> money. So, although I learned something, I think that it's important to send it registered mail. That way, uh, I know that they received it and I don't have to worry about reissuing anything. So that's a good help. Wow, that's a good that's a good piece of advice right there. All right, uh, so uh, tax is done. Let's talk about investing. Three steps to successful investing to start off. Yeah, you know what? And this is a interesting long term investing. All starts with with really finding what you're all about, what you're looking for. It's it really you have to have a purpose, and money has to have a purchase. Uh, sorry, a purpose, and it's not really about collecting money, and that's what ends up happening with a lot of people they end up simply collecting assets. It could be rental properties. And they don't know actually why they've got them. I know they're a good investment over the long term. They'll be fine. But, uh, you know, um, they just end up with a bunch and a bunch of tenants. Or you end up with a bunch of shares of the company you work with. And you say, okay, I don't really want to sell those. And the question I often ask, if everything were to just be liquidated in a computer glitch, say, would you buy back everything you just had before would you buy back all those rental properties would you buy back all those same stocks or would you buy back that same allocation of investments that you had and it's interesting if you look at a a clean slate you likely wouldn't because sometimes it's a lot of emotion is run into why you own things so the very first thing is you should look at money has a purpose and you think okay you need to step back and start asking your yourself some really good questions and again this is where working with a a third party aka financial planner really comes in handy and says what are you investing for number one question and it could be for retirement that's usually a common one it could be for kids education could be for you know i want to leave a legacy whatever it is you need to know exactly what the money is for and then the second question is Am I on track? And that really comes down to, do you have a plan? Because how do you know if you're on track if you don't have a plan? Well, first thing, you, know, you need to have that, what's the goal? And what are you investing for? Because all these things of just collecting money doesn't really mean anything unless you have that goal and are you on track. Now, also, are you successful? And how do you even measure success? Is it returns? You know, I beat the benchmark, I got 20% or, or whatever the return might have been. 
does that make you all of a sudden successful? Or is it really, you know, you know it's interesting. I was speaking with a, a new client uh, last week, and he, um, they actually missed some opportunities, and they had some money just sitting in cash. And so what's the opportunity cost of having money just sit there? And really, at the end of the day, as they were waiting to talk, speak to a financial planner, but in the meantime, it, it, you know, some procrastination was there, so there's some cost there. And also, the next question is, what risk level are you currently exhibiting? So if you look at your own portfolio, what's that risk level? And this is interesting. So even, oh, no, I'm really conservative. That's usually the answer we get. And then we dig a little deeper. We find out that they have 40% of their investments in their own company stock plan, which means you have all your, you know, 40% of your net worth or at least investable assets that's going to create an income for retirement in one stock. And you'll go up and down with that particular stock. And this is, again, a symptom of collecting money, not investing for a reason. There's style risk. There's, this is one recently, because last year, you, we talked about earlier on a different show that how growth stocks did so well. So the Google, the Amazon, the Peloton, the DocuSigns, Apple, um, Teslas, they did amazing. And there was all of a sudden all these people didn't want those bellwether bank stocks or um, industrial companies. They wanted these sexy dot-com, not necessarily dot-com stocks, but what they call growth stocks. So there's a, a lot of people moved their money to that particular area. Funny enough, I did have one person, they mentioned this one particular fund to me, and I don't, I hadn't heard of this fund. It was done by Fidelity, and it was in an innovation type fund. And they were saying, well, through their group plan at work, they had this, they could invest in whatever. And this particular one did 82%. I said, well, good for that. Well, I looked, dug, dug deeper. It was 100% growth stocks, a lot of Tesla, Shopify, you know, you know, very, very, uh, you know, sexy, you know, in vogue kind of stocks. Well, I looked at it just before this show. Year to date, it's negative. So here we have uh, that type of investment strategy work great. Now these people did not get in at the beginning when it, before it went up eighty or ninety percent. They got in somewhere along. Still did fine, by the way, but. Now they're thinking, okay, I know what I'm doing here. And now they're changing lanes and buying this type of investment. And now it's negative this year. And all those safe, boring investments, the market's done pretty good this year. And those what they call value stocks have uh, actually outperformed the growth stocks this year. So then there's allocation risk. How much you have in small companies, large companies? Um, how much you have in, say, foreign stocks, whether it be U.S. or Europe or, or China or India or any of the uh, Asian companies, uh, countries rather. So again, allocation risk. And then there's bias risk. And quite often the bias risk is what you just feel comfortable with. And that's interesting. What's one person's comfort is another person say, oh, I wouldn't touch that. And this is, again, we all have this type of bias risk because really most people aren't wired to invest well. And this has been proven time and time again. They generally do not do well. And I know uh, Andy's also going to bring this up on his portion. But at the end of the day, one question you really should say is, why do I even have a financial planner? Are they living up to your expectations? And 
what I mean by that are they should be going over this type of dialogue with you. And have you had this communication with your financial planner and, and really knowing what are you trying to accomplish? But on the other hand, if you don't have a financial planner, why is it you don't have a financial planner? You've obviously been listening to this show because you're listening right now. And so unless you're the first-time listener, and God, uh, thank you if you are, there must be a reason that uh, you do not have a financial planner, and there's some do-it-yourselfers out there. Could it be fees? Now, the fees are an interesting one. Yeah, there's costs to deal with financial planner. But boy, do we ever see people not see the big picture with this. In fact, I've seen uh, some very educated people, and they, for example, didn't use up their RESPs on time, and they had to pay back a whole lot of money back to the government because the kids are, are now done their university and they didn't use it up. And it's just sitting there. And in this particular case, it's over $100,000. So what a penalty that is. And then another, like, again, having money in cash, not try, you know, you, having a hard time with a decision, a decision, sitting on that fence. And the opportunity cost, if you actually had to run a program saying, what did it cost me by leaving it there? And there's a huge cost for leaving money in cash. So would a, pers- a personal financial plan have helped you, and not only practically, which we've just been talking about, but also emotionally, like the anxiety of, am I on track? Am I doing the right thing? This Money is way too important. Your, your goals are extremely important, and you shouldn't have this anxiety. And this having a financial plan really gives you that confidence so you don't have that anymore. So... At the end of the day, you will not be finding these answers reading the headlines and reading the paper and, and say, wow, that market performance is, is good or bad or indifferent. You know, it just adds to your worry because right now it says, wow, it did 20%. Well, now I'm having people say, wow, is the market too high now? Maybe I should be out of it. Um, or the real estate market's too high if you're in other you know, real estate investments. Maybe I should sell. Long-term, three fundamental steps really get you to where you want to go. And this is the order. You have your goals, you have the plan, and then you have a portfolio. So the goals, what are you investing for? Generally speaking, like I said, retirement planning is one of them. Quite often they may say, well, beyond that, I'll save some money for the kids and the legacy. But really, it comes down to, are you going to outlive your money or will your your money outlive you? And again, the second question is, how much money is enough? That's a really big one, and this is only done when you actually have specific figures to figure this out, and a plan that uses inflation goes through these specific numbers will help you with this. So Yogi, a, a great philosopher, Yogi Berra, <laughs> says, if you don't know where you were, you, you just may not get there, and that's so true. So having that plan, it's a written date-specific, dollar-specific plan, showing exactly what you're trying to accomplish. How much monthly will you be adding to that so you can accomplish that? Or if you're already retired, how much money do you need per month? And therefore, how much does this portfolio have to generate for you? Or maybe you have to adjust your lifestyle. Is it inflation adjusted? It has to be because obviously inflation hasn't been a big deal of late, but even at 2%, it does get into the capital. And there's so many software programs that you can work through this but when it comes to financial planning, there's just too much risk. What if you made a mistake? You know, you, what are you going to do, blame it on your, your uh, software program? No, this is where having a financial planner makes a big difference. Then 
The next one is finally you have your portfolio. And this is really a portfolio at the end of the day. Is this simply creating a funding medium for the plan? It's not an end to itself. It's not like, okay, I'm beating a benchmark. Well, that's not a real financial goal. Financial goals are, are saying I want to live at $5,000 per month lifestyle indexed to inflation, going on $10,000 trips and buying a car every seven years. That's a specific financial goal, starting at age 65 or whatever age it is. Your portfolio's performance will show you where you are, and that's where an, an annual review will say, are you ahead of the plan or behind the plan? And this is an ongoing review, which we would add to this, to make sure you're on track. And because having a plan is going to get the experience that you want, and it'll give you, you know, with there's a setback. Like last year, we had obviously a, a pandemic, and that setback is really for creates an opportunity for those that have a plan, rather than victims. So at the end of the day, we never had any victims. I know Andy and I didn't have anybody cash in last year, but we did have a, a lot of opportunists. And so if you have a financial planner, hopefully. You were an opportunist last year, too. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. You can call them now and leave a message. They will get back to you. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about five forces that investors may be underestimating this year. The five five forces, and this is some information that came to uh, came to me through one of our investment partners, uh, T. Rowe Price. A lot of people have heard of T. Rowe Price, um, and one of their uh, analysts in terms of um, just providing information and insights as to where are the investment opportunities today, and what is a company like T. Rowe Price looking to to sort of add and improve on the returns that they've been getting for clients, and this sort of speaks to the concept of managed money versus uh, indexes or ETFs or non-managed money, passive investment, we would call it. And in fact, I've been hearing a lot on the radio today, you know, do you want your money to be actively managed or passively managed? And uh, active management, of course, has been the, uh, highlighted in the commercials. And, and I think for the average individual, and this is some, for some people, it's all, you know, when you take your car in to get it fixed, and uh, some of us who are techies want to know, like, not only do they want to know all the details about what happened and how, why it was broken and how it got fixed, they want all the parts returned to them so they can see what parts broke, etc. And other people just say, here's the keys, and I want to come back, put the keys in, turn it on, and leave. They could care less. <laughs> the end result was they wanted a car that works. And sometimes that's with the same with investing, too. Uh, you know, you build a plan, like Don talked about, and you might have a an assumed rate of return. And let's say you're a, a moderate investor and the assumed rate of return is 5%. Well, we need to build a, an investment portfolio or a car that will get you 5%. 
and you don't care really what's going on behind the scenes, how it works, the efficiencies, the strategies, but all of this inform- all of this is happening in under the hood, and you don't often think about it. And for some, maybe somebody's more aggressive. Maybe they need to get um, uh, more comfortable earning, say, seven percent. What kind of portfolio do we build that can generate seven percent over the long term? And um, I know, Don, we were recently in a conference, uh, educational conference, virtually, like everybody else, and uh, I got to hear from a couple of great speakers, one of them, uh, this gentleman from T. Rowe Price, but also um, a gentleman named Larry Fink. And Larry Fink is the CEO uh, of BlackRock, and BlackRock Investments is the largest money manager in the world today. And, uh, you know, he talks about investing for the long term. And, you know, Larry often gets asked, where is the market going? You know, is it going up? Is it going down? And he said, well, you're, if you're talking in that, those phrases and that terminology, you're, you're more speculating because we can't control. We don't know where things go in the short term. But if we're talking about retirement money, he said, and this is classic, he just said, who cares? Because you're in it for the there's going to be all kinds of things are going to happen over your retirement life and you know that includes the accumulation phase while you're building your assets and the decumulation phase which could last 30 years and uh, i'll tell you a little later on i've got the tale of two stories when it comes to tfsa sort of like don was talking about where people just had cash putting money sort of in a parking it in a tfsa versus someone who invested it over the last 10 years um so just some insight. Let's open the hood a bit and talk about where are some of the opportunities with your managed money and what's happening here at IG behind the scenes. And so some of the forces that maybe have been underestimated or overlooked, and he sort of highlighted five key areas. Uh, and the, the general concept around was this was international equities. We've had a lot of fantastic results by U.S. companies and even some Canadian companies, but particularly the U.S. has been a strong, dominant force in terms of uh, stock market growth over the last decade. And the highlight, the sort of focus, the spotlight's changing over to China, Japan, and technology, and value, and I want to talk about those. The first one is China. And for China, you know, it it, it's sort of been slow off the mark in terms of adapting to or increasing people's exposure to investments in China. But here's some interesting interesting thoughts around China. China's GDP, their gross domestic product of productivity, as a percentage of the world over the last decade, has grown from 9% of the world's GDP to now 16% of the world's GDP. And a lot of times what uh, when you're investing, and if you buy, say, an index, which is a passive investment, the, a classic one is the MSCI, the Morgan Stanley Cor- uh, Company Index, and uh, it, it's China exposure over the last decade. It started at 2% and grew to 5%. So there's an example where a passive investment is way underrepresenting where China has grown to uh, up to 2020 in terms of now being 16% of the world's economy, second largest economy in the world next to the U.S. Um, what else is happening in China? China has launched IPOs. These are, these are initial public offerings. So these are companies that have grown in size to the point where they can now try and come, on, come in and become listed on the stock market. And so I, uh, China's IPOs are 10 times 
the other countries in the emerging markets. There's been over 1,200 IPOs just happening over the last uh, number of years. And, you know, it's in the, historically, we sort of have gone with the, you know, the big names. They've been the big winners in terms of uh, China, etc. But now it's those marginal companies, and there's thousands of them, literally, that are available for people to invest in. And the final concept around uh, China has been its recovery from COVID. And, um, you know, their capacity to have locked things down, they literally had... We always talk about the shape of recovery. Is it a U shape? Is it a L shape? L shape? Is it a W? They were the classic V shape, the V like Victor, down and then rapidly back up. And the bounce back in their manufacturing has been spectacular. So the first forces of international equities you may have underestimated is China and your exposure to China. Uh, with managed money, they have the capacity to shift the emphasis of a portfolio more towards an area like China. The second big factor, uh, forces in international equities is Japan. And Japan, you know, I've been in the business, Don, I've been in the business for over 35 years. And we, we both remember the vicious, the tech, the, 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 the bubble, the, the stock market bubble that hit Japan and how, uh, forever it was sort of infamous that bubble label continued to haunt Japan. It, it, there was a few other things, too, that were haunting it. Poor demographics, that people were getting older and there's not enough young people uh, generating new revenue and growth and, and um, retail uh, domestic uh, demand. Uh, low growth in the economy, inflation in the economy. But did you know that Japan, over the last decade, has been the, had the second best growth to the United States? Hmm. Its stock market performance has been only second to the U.S. And... Um, so there's been a lot going on over the last 20 years. They've restructured company governance. There's been uh, changes in terms of levels of foreign investment. And we all know the story around the mighty uh, manufacturing and efficiency that Japan has always been renowned with. And that is really paying off dividends for them as well. So the second big force in your portfolio is to revisit Japan and how much of that exposure do you have in your portfolio. The third uh, international force is the tech story. And the highlight here is really that tech knows no, bound, no borders. And we're all familiar, Don mentioned Tesla and Amazon, and Shop, you know, these, these North American companies that we're familiar with, the big tech companies. But there's new, inter- new entrants coming in to this industry, into the technology area, disrupting the old business models. Um, they've having major negative impact on media. We were just talking off air about Disney and, and how they are now streaming their stuff live. Uh, what's happening in media? What's happening in retail? What's happening in entertainment? And what's happening in the communications area all being disrupted by tech companies that can, uh, that have made major acceleration in terms of their profits. Um, COVID has accelerated this whole phenomena too. COVID has really pushed tech to the forefront in terms of its capacity to let uh, commerce continue, supply chains continue, and access to the, the services and goods that we uh, that we like. And so, as I mentioned, you know, U.S. has certainly had the dominant names: Microsoft, Apple, the DocuSign you mentioned. But now, 50% of tech companies are in the MSCI China, which is an index measuring China's stock market and also the emerging markets uh, index is represented by 40% tech companies. So the story, again, is about shifting in opportunities. Tech, yes, 
but maybe not so much the big North American names. Maybe it's time to look beyond North America into the international market. Uh, the fourth force that we're seeing for, for international equities that you may be underestimating is that value is back. And Don sort of talked about this in the concept of investing as well. He said how growth companies, like we've been talking about, have done so well over the last few years and, and again, um, accelerated by COVID. But uh, those value companies, uh, you know, today we see massive fiscal stimulus going on right around the world. Uh, low interest rates, lower inflation environment, all of these things are helping to uh, really push the value. And emerging markets, value companies are at a very low point. So these are the, the bigger sort of bluer chip uh, tech, uh, uh, emerging market value companies, I should say, that are overseas that uh, we could be ignoring. And this would typically be in the area of like financial services, resource-based or industrial type companies that you can participate in. Um, so value is back. And uh, finally, you know, the fifth force that we're talking about is uh, in international markets is that international markets are poised to likely gain. And the reason that sort of is a, is a force is comes back to the fact of how U.S. has outperformed so much. In fact, um, the research was showing that in the last 133 months, 133 months, so over 10 years, 11 years now, U.S. has outperformed international stocks. And uh, so typically, uh, that's twice as long as the normal cycle. In other words, eventually there's a rotation where those um, U.S. stocks would fall back and other, other entities, other stock market opportunities would start to outperform. And so at 133 months, we're double the normal uh, time period that there would be a rotation out of, say, U.S. and into international stocks from a performance perspective. And finally, the U.S. dollar has been falling against uh, some of the major currencies, which, again, is another opportunity representing um, international investing. So it's, you know, it's funny how we don't always think what's going on under the hood, but the amount of uh, research, the amount of um, change and opportunity that's going on behind the scenes to improve the rate of return on your portfolio to reach that 5%, that 7% that we need to average for your retirement money over time um, is all part of this managed asset program. Um, and I, you know, I was thinking about, Don was talking about cash sitting on the sidelines and Sometimes it's just difficult to make a decision. You know, you feel, is it too high or is it too low or will I need the money? There's all kinds of things that could come into people's minds. But I was, uh, I was shocked. I was talking to a client of mine uh, whose mother, elderly mother, had uh, a TFSA at a bank. And um, it was worth 75900 And she, had, she hadn't put in the 6000 yet this year, <clears throat> um, but in essence, you know, she averaged 1.6% per year since the start of TFSAs. And I looked at it, I said, what have we been investing in? And uh, she had it all, I, a big chunk of it had been in cash, a big chunk of it had been in uh, uh, GICs, uh, and none of these, none of those types of investments, and, and th I think the problem is, is that when you're older, you think, 
oh, I'm not going to be around long, so I don't want to take on any kind of risk. I just want to keep it stable and safe. If I don't earn a lot, I don't care. Well, 10 years have gone by, and I, I mirrored that to my own client who is in her 80s and has uh, used an investment portfolio that's been managed professionally, has done the same thing, maximized it every year along the way. She has 103000 So, you know, t- there's a difference, twenty over $25,000 of growth over this decade by just sitting more and being focused on cash, thinking short term, uh, and being afraid to invest, I guess, for something that makes more sense from a hard time horizon standpoint. Uh, so it, it's, I think it's important, you know, some get into this concept that, you know, you're, you're, it might be too late, right? Oh, it's too late to do it, or, you know, I'm too old or whatever. And I just reminded me of the story, or I think, Don, you brought it up, where somebody said, you know, if you think about planting an oak tree that takes time to grow, when's the best time to have done it? Well, 20 years ago, right? Or mm-hmm. 10 years ago in the case of a TFSA. When's uh, the do, second do best time? Do it now or you do it 20 years ago. Yeah. Both are better. What's the second best time? Today. Start today because <laughs> it's still going to end up being a successful, uh, successful. You just have to get it started. And so, um, anyway, that, that's my concept. Um, when we come back in the in the show, one of the sections I want to talk about is uh, I had a, a client whose uh, elderly mother had uh, reached the point where she was ready to sell her home and move on to uh, actually moving in with her son, uh, and she's in her 90s, and um, wanted to gift the money from the house, and there was just a number of different tax strategies. Um, she was receiving guaranteed income stuff. She was widowed and on her own. But uh, so I just want to take you, I'll take you through a little case study as to how to deal with the sale of an elderly parent's principal residence when we come back. All right. And uh, just as uh, an aside, there's three trees out the back of my house that were planted 21 years ago, and now they're massive and need to be trimmed in some way. So that's how fast the time (laughs) flies. There you go. If the, if those were only trees of money, where would I be? Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows, as well as ask a question on the website through the listener inquiry button. All right, we're talking about uh, what you should uh, keep in mind when you're selling your principal residence, especially as a senior. Yeah, this I just want to share a story and some of the, the planning that would go around uh, how if your elderly parent is is going to be selling their home or you are an elderly individual planning to sell your home and either move into a retirement home. And in this case, it was um, uh, a mother widowed uh, who had decided it was time to sell her home and uh, she was going to be moving. She had two children, a son and a daughter, and she was going to be moving in with her son 
who uh, was and, her, and son and daughter-in-law, who were basically going to be um, her, her caregivers going forward. And so, um, you know, as I mentioned, she had two two children, her a son and a daughter, six grandchildren, and one great grandchild as well. And uh, her home in Hamilton was worth somewhere around seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And in addition to that, so this is someone in her 90s, and uh, she had bank, diff, four different bank accounts, we'll talk about that in a second, worth about $100,000. Uh, she had a TFSA, which was worth about $80,000, but maximizing that. And she also had a RIF, which was worth about $12,000. And um, now, minimum, basically just taking the minimum from that each and every year. Uh, now her her income was um, was pretty basic and uh, did, didn't have a lot of income and as you know as we know this as people age their world tends to get smaller and what I mean by that is that they're just less interested in spending money on things they would have a decade ago so travel has tended to come to an end well for all of us that's true but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, uh, travels come to an end um, driving I guess we're all gotten older end. than Andy if that's the yeah case. exactly that's it's true take a look in the mirror <laughs> and uh um and, and and on the way scale too <laughs> we uh uh you know so your driving has come to an end um things like uh you know dining out and clothes all of those costs have sort of really just sort of shrunk down and gotten small and to the point where in talking with the son really just her ongoing cost she's contributing about 500 bucks a month to the household in terms of uh groceries etc so um, her income, she had Canada Pension Plan from her uh, survivor benefit from her uh, former spouse her, uh, of 1000 a month. She had uh, her RIF payment, the minimum RIF payment is about $110 a month. And then she was getting the full old age security, which is about 620 bucks a month. And then uh, on top of that, GIS. GIS stands for Guaranteed Income Supplement or Supplement, and that is a tax-free amount. That she, for about two fifty a month as well, three thousand a year. So, the one thing that um, you consider when you think about uh, uh, this situation is well, what what are her goals? And her main goals were to simplify things in terms of the estate. Right? How do I make things simpler for my two kids, for my grandkids? And their second main goal was gifting. And, you know, again, you, a lot of times people find people reach that point in their life where they realize, you know, I've got enough income to do what I need to do. Really, the rest of my capital would be easy enough to gift it away. Does that make sense? And um, so the thought process was she was going to sell, selling the home at 750000 and basically giving 375000 to each of her children. And, uh, and that's what she did. So it... Um, uh, I'm coming in after the fact, but one of the things that we talked about was the fact, obviously, doing it while you're alive is great. You get to see the benefit of it, and uh, and that's that's nice, and it's certainly uh, taken some pressure off of both her son and daughter. And the understanding was that if something were to happen to her where she could no longer you know, live with the son and be more or less independent, um, but to the extent she needs more care or needed to go into long-term care, uh, that that capital that the son and daughter would receive, they would be able, they would kick in to pay for her ongoing care as well. So we also learned that um, this is something I always ask when people at this stage too is, do they qualify for the disability tax credit? And we went through a whole discussion on this, and it turns out that she likely does. And it was focused around her ability, mobility, walking. 
And if you can't walk at least 100 meters without having to um, stop or with substantial aid, or it, it, then you could qualify. And that would be her situation, is going to be her mobility. So that's something we found for some tax credits as well. We looked at the GIS, and the problem was you don't want to keep a lot of money. Four bank accounts, $100,000. She's earning about $1,000 of interest a year. And for every dollar you earn, she loses 50 cents as clawed back of her guaranteed income supplement. So that $1,000 of interest meant that she was losing $500 of guaranteed income supplement, tax-free guaranteed income supplement. So that's like a 50% tax rate. So why do you have all this money in bank accounts? How much do you feel comfortable with? And we talked about a number of 25000 if I had 25000 available, that would be great. That left 75000 Close down all the accounts. Get to one account. Simplify the estate. Beneficiaries were all named on the tax-free savings account and the RIF, the two, the two children. So that made sense. Uh, and then what about gifting the 75000 Because she had mentioned she wanted to give money to each of the grandkids. And uh, so it, it worked out to roughly, she's thinking about 10000 to each grandchild is going to be gifted now. So really what the focus is, again, in a situation like this, is how to clean up and tidy up the estate so that there's not a big legacy, having to probate it, et cetera, how to minimize estate taxes, et cetera, um, how to uh, consolidate things so that they're more efficient and easier to manage for everybody going forward, how to make those gifts today, uh, you know, the pros and cons of doing that as well. So. For those of you in the sandwich generation, you're kind of maybe looking after your parents at this point and also maybe even looking after kids or helping out adult kids. Uh, you know, Don and I are well-versed in helping you work through the strategies in terms of that next phase for your elderly parent as they think about selling their principal residence and whether they're moving to a retirement home or with you. There are a lot of things to think about and some great financial planning tips. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. You can call now, leave a message. They will return your call. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message, 905-529-7165, and check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows, as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, we're talking about behavioral investment consultants consultants, counselors. Isn't that you? Yes, investment psychiatrist is really what it is. <laughs> there you go. Investment psychiatrist, yeah. So, and, instead, and of sitting around, so, in, so instead of sitting around the kitchen table, really what we should be doing is lying on the couch when you guys come over. <laughs> well, there, there is that feeling at times, and I actually have joked about that. So you're absolutely right, Scott. And it's kind of funny. Just over a month ago, March 23rd, was when the markets hit an all-time low during the pandemic. And, of course, they started coming back after that. So here we are, May 1st, and, and the markets were coming back. It's so funny, though. I don't know if anybody actually believed they're going to come back. Oh, there's so much bad news. And I have an acquaintance that I often golf with, you know, a couple times a year or a few times a year. And he was asking me questions. And basically, he was almost like the litmus test. Whatever he does, do the opposite. He's <laughs> extremely well-read. 
He knows everything that's going on, but he's just saying how he's sold out and it's going down. It's, it, I know it's gone up a bit in the last month, but it's definitely going to come back down again. There's no way it can keep going up. And, uh, and I actually use them as a benchmark because he doesn't know this, but if, I, if you did the opposite of him, you do extremely well. And so what they had, uh, there's this VIX index, basically. It's a fear index, and it had an all-time high on March 21st. And so many people, when this index hits those kind of numbers, every, so many are selling. And I know Andy and I, again, we, we didn't have one of our clients sell. Again, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's not part of the plan. In fact, I, most, of, most of my clients, if anything, it was an opportunity to make a change to the plan, perhaps not take as much per month because you couldn't spend it anyway, and allow the shares to continue to grow or even add more to the plan, which a lot of clients didn't, did. So it's really about having that faith and patience and discipline following the plan. And at the end of the day, we win. Our clients won. They did a great job. And so it's very rewarding, I have to say, to see clients take advantage of these blips. And again, trust me, you know, in hindsight, everybody wishes, oh, boy, I wish I invested in, in March 23rd. But even if you didn't and you added money in April or May or even June, in fact, any time would have been fine. But by this time, people are saying, oh, no, it's, it's gone up too fast. It's got to come back down. That never happened. And this is why it's so important to have a behavioral investment counselor at your side to make sure you're making the best decisions. And, 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 and you'll do far better. And I, I know we've talked about Delbar reports and how the average investor does about average, well, about half of what the actual market's doing, and it's because of what they're doing. And, I, you know, I, I couldn't imagine for those – I know what we do for a living – and we, we talk about the plan, and we talk about the advice and, and trying to people, you know, accomplishing your goals. I would suggest most people are saying, okay, here's an investment. I think this is what they're going to do. I don't know how I would wake up every day having to try to figure what the market is going to do. Um, that would be so anxious. Uh, it is not, thankfully, that's not what Andy and I do. It's comforting to know that we have helped so many people accomplished their financial goals over the last 36-plus years. So you look at it, mainstream U.S. equities have averaged 6.5% above inflation for over 200 years. And in fact, it works out to about 10% per year return. So, But real returns is what you want. How much are you beating inflation by? And this is according to Dr. Jeremy Siegel in, in his book, Stocks for the Long Run. And he updates this every year. He's a prof in the U.S., Bonds, on the other hand, have averaged 3% above inflation. So you're going to lose more than 50% of your return by investing in fixed income. And why would anybody even invest in those areas? Now, there is the point that you will add some, you know, almost a shock absorber to your portfolio. So definitely we suggest having a portion there, but it will lower your return. Your return. So stocks, on average, will drop 14% per year, somewhere during the year. We don't know when, but they do. But 75% of the years are positive. But people often just focus on the 25% or one in four years where they're negative. And 88% re returns in five years are positive. In fact, if you go any time 10 years, you're going to have a positive return. And this is where we're talking about retirement planning and making sure that you're accomplishing your goals and, and, and having that plan for the goals and not worrying about the ups and downs of the market. Because as Andy said about Larry Fink, the, who runs trillions of dollars, the largest in, in the world, he doesn't worry about the market. That's speculative. 
but long term, it's going to do extremely well. So if you look at $100,000 invested at 6.5% real return for 20 years, you'd end up with 352000 30 years, you'd end up with 661000 And that's your real, that's like in today's dollars. So that's, that's quite good. Versus if you had it all in bonds, after 30 years, you'd have 242000 So you're not going to, you're, you're going to basically shoot yourself in the foot by being too safe. And it is all about having a proper allocation, part of that plan, and having that vehicle that will get you there. And I have to say, and I know, Andy, you probably hear it all the time, it's so nice to hear clients say, we wouldn't be in this position had we not have met you, whether it was retirement planning or are the kids going through university. And I always, I always come back saying, you know what, at the end of the day, it is really a team effort. All three of us, if it's a husband, wife, and myself, working together to accomplish their goals. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And if you'd like to ask a question online or listen to old shows, you can hit their website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great one. Have a good week. Thank you, Scott. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.